0: Again, it is good to see everyone this morning. We're glad that we are able to come together and to worship God on, on this first day of the week. I want to uh, begin a series of lessons this morning, and I want to begin it this way. I often use the, um, the analogy, the illustration of the swing of the pendulum. And we use that to to show the extremes in... Uh, opinion or or interpretation or whatever it might be the 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 extremes from one side to the other so I want to use that analogy in talking about what happened a few months ago with the church as far as the response to the coronavirus outbreak and so on one side of the pendulum swing we had brethren churches that wanted to suspend services immediately in the wake of the spread and the, the rapid uh, spread thereof uh, they felt that the, the su- services should be suspended immediately and then on the other side the other swing of the pendulum is brethren who uh, decided that no under no circumstances our service is going to be suspended And then as is the case with with these things there are all manner of positions in between those two extremes So on the one hand we have the the idea of suspending services immediately And then the other extreme is to never suspend services under any circumstances And then they're all positions in between and I want to say from the outset That these series of lessons are not meant as a criticism for any church for any brethren any individuals as we go through this that is not my intention it's not my place especially when it comes to other churches we're going to talk about church autonomy in a, in a future lesson the idea that the church and the eldership of, of a local church is responsible for themselves and no one else so we have to respect that and not criticize other brethren in other places for the things they've done nor should we line up to criticize our own and and be critical of decisions that they've made we have to assume that brethren are making the best decisions for themselves and doing the best they can to be pleasing to God and it's not my intention to criticize anyone from this pulpit my intentions are to bring lessons for us to clearly understand what the Bible says because I'll be honest I was caught a little flat-footed I'd never in my life Uh, imagined a time where we would be considering not assembling on the first day of the week and so as those uh, as the the situation were were flooding in I had to do a lot of careful and, and deep study into God's Word and and get myself to a point of understanding of what it means to be a Christian what it means for the church to come together what it means to take the Lord's Supper some of those things that we take for granted And there's deeper study that has been fleshed out by the happenings that have taken place over the past few months that that require us as Christians to make sure that we fully understand what God intends for us, what God intends for us to do in worship to him, and the circumstances under which we are to do that. So this is really the lessons that you're going to be seeing over the next few weeks are kind of a glimpse into my studies and what it what it meant to me and what I felt like I needed to do to get a hold of this and to fully understand it and especially in the wake of when we're talking about what it means when it's dangerous for us to come together what do we do under circumstances like that so I've entitled these series of lessons when you come together as a church and that's taken from 1st Corinthians 11 and verse 18 when Paul is talking to the Corinthian brethren there about the Lord's Supper specifically. But in that discourse, we're going we're to keep coming back to that and referring to that because in that discourse there's a lot that, tell, that, that Paul tells us about coming together as a church. So we're going to use that to, to underpin the lessons that we'll be looking at in the future. This morning we're going to look at what, it, what is the church. We need to start there. We need to start with some very basic and fundamental understanding and make sure we have a very firm grasp of what the church is. And these are um, tentative titles for the lessons in the future. Uh, the importance of autonomy. It's important for us to be self-governing as far as the earthly part of the church. It's important uh, for us to understand what's happened in the past when God's people were in exile. This is not unprecedented as far as that goes. When God's people were not allowed to come to temple, back under the, the law of Moses. So we'll look at some examples and things there. We'll look at, again, we'll revisit the idea of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let's make sure we have a firm understanding of what that means, and the Hebrew writer tells us that. And we need to start then making some application and seeing, is the church forever changed? Have, this, have the circumstances over the past few months forever changed the Lord's church? We need to look very closely at that and make sure that we understand that the Lord's kingdom is forever and everlasting. So how do we fit into that? how do we fit into God's plan for that? And as always, and as, as with God's people, when they were in exile, there was always a remnant. There's always a remnant that will remain until the Lord comes again. There will always be a remnant of his people those are some tentative lessons that I hope that we will be looking at tentative titles at least but those are some of the issues that we want to be looking at but like I said I want to start this morning with the idea that we need to fully understand what the church is so let's go all the way back to the Greek let's look and see the Greek word here that is is, is rendered as church is the word ecclesia. and that word in very general definition means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place or an assembly in most generic terms that we can we can talk about that's what the that's what the word means narrowing down a popular meeting especially a religious congregation so when we talk about ecclesia and, 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 and applying it in the scriptures in the, in the pages of the New Testament it's a it's a religious congregation it's a calling out a coming together of Christians, and that's what the third definition here: an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. Now, these are textbook kind of uh, definitions here, so take that for, for what it's worth. And uh, and we're going to show hopefully that an assembly of Christians we we can come together for other things other than worship. But that's in the in the in the general sense in the general application of what it means to be a church what it means to be the called out it's an assembly of christians coming together to worship god and that's what the word means it's translated in the pages of the new testament as church assembly congregation we use these words interchangeably ourselves don't we sometimes i think we take it for granted what does it mean an assembly a congregation So let's keep this in our minds, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place or an assembly. So there's an idea of a leaving one place and coming together in another. So let's talk about this. What is the church? Again, starting from broad and narrowing down. The church is the body of the saved. And that is alive or have passed away in the broadest sense. Travis read for us there in Colossians 1 and verse 13, He says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So when we start talking about what does it mean to be a part of the church, this is where we can look and see. We are now transferred into the, into the kingdom of his beloved son. So that's the kingdom in which we belong. And church and kingdom are used interchangeably sometimes, and we'll see why here in just a moment. In Acts 2 and verse 47, as Luke writes for us and records those things that are happening on the day of Pentecost, it says there, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were adding to their number, adding to the church day by day those who were being saved. So we put those things together and we can see that it, what the church is, is the body of all those people uh, who have come together. Uh, who have, let's state it this way, men and women who have done what is necessary to be saved, they make up the body, they make up the church. We sometimes refer to this as the church universal, and there's a good reason why we do that. That's terminology that man has come up with, but it's applicable. When we talk about what it, the, the church in the most general sense, we look at passages like Ephesians 4 and verse 4, when, when Paul writes that there is one body, Look over in Ephesians 1. Let's make sure we have this very well in our understanding. Paul talks about there being one body. Well, well, how can there be one body when we talk about the church of Cortez, there's a church in Palmetto, there's a church over, there's a couple other churches here in Bradenton. How can that be one church? Well, let's understand this concept. In Ephesians 1, verse 22, beginning, it says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, And gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when we talk about the church in the general sense and the church in the universal sense, all those who are alive or have passed away who have done what is necessary to be saved, and Jesus is the head of that body. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? That's what we talk about when we talk about the church in this very general way. The kingdom, the church, Jesus is the head of it. So, think about this. This is the body of all those who are alive and passed away, but the universal church doesn't have elders. I put an asterisk there because the chief elder, Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, the chief elder, that being Jesus, we understand that, so I wanted to make sure I was clear on that. But the church of of everyone does not have elders. The church of everyone does not take up a collection. We don't all meet together. Think about all Christians in the world and all those who have passed away meeting together at the same place at the same time. That's impossible, right? That's impossible. And all those people don't come together to take the Lord's Supper at the same time in the same place. It would be very difficult. So we have to understand that there is a, a, a separation, a difference when we talk about the church of, of the body of Jesus Christ in general terms, the church universal and the church local. So, the church doesn't do these things, the church universal, but the local church does. The local church, it does come together. It does have elders when elders are in place in the local congregation. The, church, the local church does take up a collection. We did it just a few minutes ago. The local church does all meet together. We have come together together to function as the church, to come together called out from, from their place, from their homes into the public assembly. That's what we have b- done. We have come together. The place does not matter. We could be meeting in the parking lot. We could be meeting out here on the, in the grass. We could meet at a at a, a church. Uh, I mean, a hotel lobby. Does, the place doesn't matter as long as we've all agreed that that's where we're going to meet. And that's where we're going to, at that place and that time. And we come together to take the Lord's Supper. We did that just a few minutes ago as well. That's what the the local church is able to do. The Church Universal can't do that. But the local church can and must, as prescribed in the New Testament. That's what we must do on the first day of the week. The local church is made up of local Christians who identify themselves with the work of a local church. We have a good example of this over in Acts chapter 9. Look over there with me in Acts chapter 9. We have a good example of this when Saul, who would would become Paul, has been converted and he wants to come to Jerusalem and he wants to associate with those brethren there. He wants to be a part of the work there that's going on in Jerusalem. But his reputation precedes him. So there are some who don't want him to be that because he had formerly persecuted Christians. But look at the example that that is here for us. Acts chapter 9 beginning verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, that is Paul, he was trying to associate with the disciples and they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him into the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And when he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. So they accepted him. He became a part of the work there that was going on in Jerusalem. He identified himself with the brethren there. Verse 29, he was talking, with, arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. So he became a part of that work. And so that gives us an example of Christians who identify themselves with the local church and, and, and work with them. That's what a local congregation is comprised of and what it does. So let's look at this idea. We see often in Scripture uh, about churches, plural. The seven churches in Asia in Revelation 2, verse 3. The churches of God, 1 Corinthians eleven, sixteen. 16. Churches of the saints in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. So we have to understand that when we talk about the church universal, that, that all the saved of, of God, that's one church. And that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, and verse 4. When we see plural, that means local churches. And we have good uh, examples of that. And I want to look and this. We're not going to go through every one of these because this is a long list. But I put together this list for another study some time back. And these are just references to the church in the New Testament. And you see there in Matthew 16, verse 18, upon this rock I will build my church. That's Jesus when he's talking to Peter there. That's a reference to the church universal. That's the church. That's the kingdom. But then you go through and see the church in Jerusalem, there in Acts 8 and 1 and Acts 11, verse 22. Um, Down there, Romans 16, verse 1, the church which is at Chanceria. Look at Romans 16, verse 5, the church that is in their house. Remember I said the place doesn't matter as long as they're coming together as a church to do those things that they have been commanded to do. Look further in this. um, To the church of God which is at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Um, churches of the saints, the churches of God, the churches of Macedonia, the church of God which is at Corinth, the same, uh, similar greeting as he wrote to, in the other letter. Um, uh, the saints who are at Ephesus, um, all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi. There's in Colossians 1 verse 13, that's what we read, the kingdom of his beloved son. Um, here's uh, More. The church of the Thessalonians, Paul addressed both of the letters to those brethren there, the church of the Thessalonians. Look down First 1 Peter uh, 2, verse 5, a spiritual house for the holy priesthood, Um, shepherd the flock that is among you. You see how these go on and on, and the references to the churches and the churches that are in people's houses. I want to go back to this, because this demonstrates what we're talking about. Matthew 16, verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus talking about establishing the kingdom and the church, using that interchangeably. The church belongs to him. It is his church. But look just a couple of chapters later, in chapter 18 of Matthew, when he's talking about disciplining a brother who is in sin, if he won't listen to you, says tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, Jesus necessarily has to be talking about a local church because that to, otherwise, to think otherwise would be impossible. We're not talking about telling the, the, the church universal about the sin of my brother here in Cortez. He's talking about telling the local church. So right there within a couple of chapters we see the distinction that is made. Having said all that, let's talk a little bit about the functionality of the church. Look with me over in Acts chapter 13. A couple of pages over if you're there. Acts chapter 13. One of the things the church comes together to do is to work. In Acts chapter 13, beginning verse 1, says, Now they were at Antioch, and listen carefully to the language, they were at Antioch in the church that was there, so again, there's a, there's a clear distinction of the church that's in Antioch. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who's also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, and all those who were brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So here's the church functioning, doing work, providing what, in this case, the Holy Spirit is guiding them to do. And that is setting apart Paul and and Barnabas for the work that that he's going to give them to do. So there's a church coming together to do work. Look over another couple chapters in chapter 15 of Acts. The church also comes together for instruction. In Acts chapter 15 there's the council there at Jerusalem. There's some issues that they're having to deal with so they come together and talk about the issues and they write this down uh, this letter and send it out to the the churches and beginning in verse 30 it says so when they were sent away they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together they delivered the letter and when they had read it they rejoiced because of its encouragement And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away to the brethren in peace, to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. So the church there comes together for instruction. That's another thing that the church comes together for. The church also comes together for encouragement. Look over in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, this is a familiar passage here. Chapter 10 beginning verse 24. It says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The next verse is key. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near so the church comes together for encouragement how else can we encourage our brethren if we don't come together and see them to be face to face with them to be able to encourage them because the Hebrew writer says not forsaking our own assembling together so if we're forsaking the assembling of ourselves together we can't be here to encourage one another it's simple logic that follows finally for our purposes here this example the church comes together for worship look back in first Corinthians chapter 10 first Corinthians 10 Paul is going to in passing talk about uh, the Lord's Supper and then in chapter 11 which we're going to get to here in a second i going to take it up with a little bit more instruction. But in chapter 10, look what the, the principle that is laid down here. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. It says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we are all, uh, many are one body, and we all partake of one bread. So, you see the, the, the principle that is laid down there that there's a sharing amongst the brethren, the bread and the fruit of the vine. So, now if you come over to chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, now again, what follows here is, is a criticism of the Corinthian brethren for their partaking, the, the way in which they were partaking the Lord's Supper. And it starts here. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. So Paul starts off by, he's going to criticize them for the things that they're doing wrong. But in this criticism, we get some very important things, some very important ideas about the church. And it starts here in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... So we can stop right there and see how important it is for us to come together as a church. And all the things that we've talked about up to now, what the church means. What that means, we come together as a local congregation to do those things that we're to do on the first day of the week. So when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. He goes on to tell them about the factions and the things that are going on. Look what it says, verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And he goes on now to criticize them. One takes his supper first, another is hungry, one is drunk. And then look, verse 22. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? No, I won't praise you in this. We get the principle out of that, and rightly so, that the church is not a place where we come together and share common meals. That's not the function of the church. The meal that they are to be taking of is the Lord's Supper and Paul describes what that is, the bread and the fruit of the vine. Not the bitter herbs and the lamb and everything else that was associated with the Passover, no. Unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Paul says if you want to eat others than that, you have houses in which to do that. You don't come together as a church to do that. You come together as a church to take the Lord's Supper which consists of unleavened bread, and fruit of the vine. So he goes on there in verse 23 to tell them just that. He says, this is what you come together to do. This is what, the this is how you do it. This is the reason in which you do it. You need to examine yourself. Make sure you're taking that for that reason. And then look down in verse 33. He says, so then my brethren, when you come together to eat, and again, he's he's describing eating of the Lord's Supper, not the common meal, not eating too much and one getting drunk, no, come together to eat, that is the Lord's Supper, wait for one another. Remember he said one is drunk, this one eats his before the, before the other one, wait for one another. So in this passage we have come together as a church, that means in one place, some translations even say that, come together in one place. Even, that, even more, verse 20, when you meet together, So we're coming together in one place, meeting together, and in verse 33, we wait for one another. There's a time and a place in which we come together to take the Lord's Supper. And this is the way that the New Testament has been laid out, and this is the instructions that we have on how we are to take the Lord's Supper. Over in chapter 16, we go there often to talk about taking up the collection. What is said there, on the first day of the week, as I instructed the the churches in Galatia, so you do also, that you lay by and store on the first day of the week, so that no collections be made when I come. When we talk about our collective worship, that's one of the things that we do. We take up a collection. And when do we do that? We do that on the first day of the week, when we come together. In Ephesians 5 and verse 19, we go there to talk about singing. As we sing what? To who? To one another. Colossians 3.16 goes along with that. We are singing to one another. So one of the acts of worship that we call it is singing. And how are we to do that? We are to sing to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in our hearts. Singing to one another. Look over in 1 Timothy 2. In verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Did I have that right? That scripture is wrong, but I do have the quote that is right. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I want men in every place to pray. So how is it that we are to pray? When we come together, we are to pray collectively. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So what are we to be doing? What young Timothy... This is the instructions to the young evangelist. He says, give attention to what public reading. We've done that. To, to, to exhortation. We're exhorting one another by the things that we do. And to teaching. So all those things that we do, we come together to worship. And that shows that we, the functionality of the church coming together. Now what I want you to see is this, which is very, very important. And all four of these examples what are we doing we're coming together now there are things that we do as individuals a lot of things that we do as individuals that we have been instructed to do But there are things that we do as a church as a functioning body Paul talks about that he relates it to the functioning body and says that we are all members of one body different members but one body So it is important and imperative for us to come together to do certain things. And that's what we're talking about in all this, of us coming together to do certain things. On the other side of this, I want to talk in the time we have left here about what the church is not. One of the things the church is not is it is not an ad hoc collection of individual Christians I don't read that in the pages of the New Testament all the examples that I have given you up to now talk about the church and its coming together yes there are instructions for individuals but all those references I had up there a minute ago talk about the church that is the called out that is the collection that is the coming together in a religious assembly it's not an ad hoc collection of individual Christians go with me to Matthew 18 we passed by this a moment ago let's look in a little bit more detail Matthew 18 beginning of verse 15 it says that when your brother sins go and reprove him in private but if he and if he listens to you you have won your brother good 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 uh, instruction here good advice from our Lord your brother sins, go to him and prove him, and, and if he listens, you, you're done. But if he doesn't, there's some instructions for that contingency. Verse 16: But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth or two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. It's a reference to the old law and the idea of two or three witnesses giving credibility to what's going on because it's been seen by two or three people, not just you. Verse 17: If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him to be be to you as a gentile and a tax gatherer. So in this, we're talking about if he won't listen to you, he won't listen to a couple of people you take with you. Then you tell it to the church. And again, that functions. That shows us the function of the church there, and the local church. Verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is talking about the apostles and their mission that is going forward. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now notice verse 20. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. I don't know about you, but for... For a long time, I've heard this scripture quoted in, and, and, in such a way as to basically the, the low number of attendants in a church. And this quote, scripture is quoted often and said, well, as long as there's two or three people there, Jesus is in our midst. And to some extent, that's true. We come together in the name of, of our Lord to worship him. There is an application to be made there. But that's not what this is talking about. In context, and we talked about in our Wednesday night Bible class how important it is to look at the immediate context and let these things speak there first and make sure that the application goes there first. Where two or three witnesses gather my name, there I am in their midst. Look back at verse 16. It says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every act may be confirmed. What Jesus is talking about is dealing with, an, with a brother who is in sin. And if that brother is in sin, you go to him. If you won't listen and you take it to the church, you, you follow this process. And then he closes that by saying, where two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. That doesn't make an assembly. That verse does not make an assembly. So we talk about the church is not an ad hoc collection of individuals. So Matthew 18, 20 does not an assembly make. So we can't rely on this one verse and say that we'll just get together a few Christians and we'll be a church now if you start a work in a new place if you come together and say this is what we're going to do we're going to set up a new church and you come together to do that that's perfectly fine but we can't just ad hoc just you know whenever the time may be just come together a few Christians and be the church no because why because The church is here in Cortez. There's a church in Palmetto. There's other churches in Bradenton. Those are the the brethren that have come together. Those are the churches that are functioning in this area. We can come together as those churches, and that's absolutely fine. We come together to work. We come together for instruction. We come together for worship. All those things that we have looked at. But you remember back in that list, as Paul and other writers are addressing addressing the churches, they're addressing the church in Philippi and Colossae, the Thessalonians and Corinth those are the established churches that they're that they're addressing we can't just for whatever reason just come together and think we're a church we come together as a church we come together as the church the church that is in this community the church that has been established here and the work that we do and everything that goes along with that that's what's important in understanding this we have to come together as this church we want to start a new work, that's fine. But we can't just ad hoc just say that we are a church. It doesn't work that way. At least not what from I, what I read. Another thing the church is not is it's not a spectator event. And I read this or, or quoted this from Ephesians 5:19 and Colossians 3:16 where we're talking about singing talking about singing to one another. And then in uh, in Hebrews 10, verse 25, we're talking about encouraging one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So the church is not a spectator event. We have duties and responsibilities to one another. So when we come together as a church, we have a responsibility to be in the presence of one another. Our modern communications have given rise to a lot of online stuff to be able to do, online worship, online Bible studies, and those things have their place. Think about, we, we, we often say, you know, if, if the Apostle Paul had email or text message, would he have used it? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Think about the, 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 what they had at the time. I think it would have been utilized to do that. And we have technology that lets us, Uh, live broadcast things that we are doing and record them for others to hear later on and that is perfectly fine and it's great that we have that ability but that can't replace us being in the presence of one another how can I worship, how can I sing to one another how can I encourage one another if I'm not in their presence so while those things are useful and important especially when it comes to people who, for health reasons or whatever else cannot be here at least that's an encouragement to them but it cannot replace a church's worship because we're not in the presence of one another another thing that the church is not it's not a gathering of convenience Larry spoke about this recently in Acts chapter 20 as Paul is is traveling there and he's he's making his way back towards Jerusalem um he winds up in Troas and he spends some time there it says that they spent seven days there and and from the text what it lays out it, it it lays out that he's waiting there so that he can be with the brethren in Troas on the first day of the week now Paul in his journeys he was trying to get back to Jerusalem he's gonna he's not even going to pass through Ephesus he's going to call the Ephesian elders out to him so he can talk to them so he can keep going on to to Jerusalem so the, the it's not a gathering of convenience in other words we don't come here just when it's convenient. We come here a lot of times when it's inconvenient. We may not feel well. We may um, have worked the night before, or, or whatever kept us up all the night before. Sometimes it's very inconvenient for us to be here. But that's OK, because the church is not a gathering of convenience. We set a time where we can be as convenient as possible and, 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 and uh, involve as many people as we can, And I would say if we had someone who was, who couldn't be here on a regular basis because of their schedule, I think the brethren here would say, fine, we'll move our services to 2 o'clock in the afternoon to accommodate you. That's absolutely fine. But otherwise, we're going to be here at 10 o'clock for Bible study and 11 o'clock for worship. Sometimes that's convenient, sometimes it's not. But the church doesn't come together as a matter of convenience. Sometimes it's inconvenient to come together as a church. I want to leave you with this. This is later on there in Acts chapter 20, when Paul has called out the Ephesian elders and he's talking to them. He tells them to be on God for yourselves and for all the flock which is among among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Advice there to, to take care of this flock that you have. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood when we talk about this I want us to to narrow in on that right there the church of God which he purchased with his own blood When we think about the price at which was paid the what was necessary in laying the foundation of the church it's the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ We've been studying, we're looking at the last week of our Lord's life. And we look at, at how horribly he was treated. How he was taken from one f- fake trial to the next. And how his deter- he, he was already predetermined what was going to happen to him. All this other was just a method to get him to the cross. And for a statement like this, d- it brings it home, doesn't it? the church in which we belong whether you're thinking about the universal or the local church it holds for both was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ so when we as men and women are are considering what we should do in times of trouble in times of whatever that's happening in the world let's not lose, lose sight of that that the church is worth fighting for that the church is worth taking a stand for. The church is worth doing everything possible that we can do to make sure that we are holding to the pattern that has been given to us in, in the pages of the New Testament. Paul told the Corinthians there, when you come together as a church, when you come together in the same place, you do these things, you wait for one another. That's the example that we have. We ought to do our best to hold to that example. Troubling times will come, things will happen, people will be sick and can't attend, those on an individual basis and those kind of things, notwithstanding. We all understand those times when we cannot be here physically or if we're out of town, those kind of things. The point I hope we make here is that the church is worth standing up for. The church is worth all of our effort to maintain it. In Revelation, John writes and as he sees the, the bride coming down that's, that, is, that is adorned for her, her husband. And that's the, the symbolism there of Jesus and the church and the relationship that he has with the church, that, he is, that she is his betrothed and that close relationship that is displayed there. Isn't that worth everything we have? Isn't that worth all of our efforts in this world? To maintain that, we've been entrusted with the local congregation. Shouldn't we do everything we can to make sure that we are worshiping and honoring our God in the best way that we can? The church is worth fighting for. The church is worth standing up for. And we ought to do everything we can to maintain that beautiful relationship between the bride and the husband that Jesus wants to have. I know that was a lot of information. I hope that you'll have time to digest that a little bit after we leave here. And I want to put this out there to you as well. I know this was more of a a lecture kind of format as a lesson and a lot of information. If you have any questions about this, please come to me and ask. I want to work through this together with us because I think these lessons are important. I think it's very important for us to have a firm grasp of what it means to be a Christian and the things that are worthy of our faith and worth fighting for but please if you have any questions please let me know and I want to keep moving through these lessons and hopefully get us as firm understanding of God's will for us as we can and then next year I hope that our understanding will be even more and even better as we keep growing the Lord purchased the church with his own blood and his own blood saves us from our sins. We have no hope of salvation without it. Only through the blood of Christ can we be saved from our sins.